When we hold ourselves to our own standards of enough, when we ask ourselves better questions to set our own truths free, when we make our decisions leading from our values and take actions on purpose to support them, I truly and unapologetically believe there is nothing that we can't do. Hey, my name is Lisa and I'm a small town mama with the audacity to believe that slowing down is the new keeping up and joy is what makes a life successful. On the clock, I'm helping creative entrepreneurs to define their goals, gain social communication skills, take intentional action towards their dreams, and learn strategies for mindful marketing and sustainable success in their lives. Off the clock, I'm raising three beautiful and spirited children with my husband to know that they are safe to dream, question everything, be exactly who they are, use their voices, change their minds, and be weird unapologetically because life is just too short to waste it on fearing ourselves. This podcast is about how I'm learning to be my best in both roles and leave enough room for rest, recovery, and inventive imagination in my life as an example to myself, my kids, and anyone else that needs to know that it is possible. If you're interested in conversations about business, parenting, marketing, relationships, emotional health, or strategies to promote deeper presence in our lives, I think you might like it here. We can trade burnout for boundaries. We can trade perfectionism for patience. We can trade hustle for happy. This is The Joyful Enough with me, Lisa Holloway. When it comes to creating change in our lives or making big decisions, you can count on these three pieces of advice to come up in conversation before long. Follow your heart, trust your gut, and do what you think is best for you, your family, your business. We are exceedingly familiar with these phrases, and I honestly think most of us do believe, at least to some degree, that there is truth behind these concepts. But the big issue is, how do we actually do those things? If I knew what I wanted to do, I would do it. If I knew how to follow my heart or trust my gut in any given situation, it'd be a whole lot more convenient for me to do that than getting stuck and melting down or burning out in the process or abandoning the choice altogether because I have no idea what to do or how to weigh my options properly. If I knew how to get my life together, I would. Wouldn't I? There are two major blocks that keep us from being able to do that. Common social conditioning being the first one. Most of us have been taught from a very young age to do what we're told don't question authority, and find satisfaction through acceptance in the form of fitting in. Blend in if you don't want to be made fun of. Do as I say, not as I do. Stand in line, don't backtalk, and get a normal job. Boys aren't allowed to have big feelings, except aggression, because that one is somehow acceptable. Or maybe useful is the better word. And girls aren't allowed to have big ambitions unless that ambition is to be an exceptional by common standards, wife, mother, friend. What's funny about common standards is no one seems to be able to live up to them. Before anyone thinks that I'm out here to attack anyone that has aided in the conditioning style that I'm speaking of here throughout the years, I'm not. I would be in that group too. I think that there are a lot of kind-hearted, well-meaning people that think or thought they were doing what was best, and why wouldn't they? 
that messaging is everywhere. I say it not to point fingers, but to step into the discussions that I believe are important for us to have as a society, loudly and often. We need to get comfortable with asking uncomfortable questions of ourselves and our world. We know when something doesn't feel right to us, but we've been conditioned to ignore those internal red flags our entire lives, except in extreme cases, but no one really bothers to define what that means to us until we've already missed what we should have caught sooner. We're taught to expect punishment for stepping out of line or making a mistake. Either from someone else or if no one is around, we learn to punish ourselves for falling short of what is expected of us, and we get pretty freaking good at this. We are terrified of making mistakes and even more terrified of making decisions outside of what is deemed safe to us already. But we can't shake the feeling that this isn't it for us and we have no one to blame but ourselves. We tell ourselves that we probably deserve all of this hardship because we just can't manage to do things right. If I didn't have my head in the clouds, I would have seen this coming. I should have known better. I should have tried harder. I should have done more. They told me this was a bad idea. Why didn't I just listen? And on and on. Which brings us to block number two. We don't trust ourselves. In fact, we quite often flat don't know anything about our own identities beyond what others have told us about ourselves. My favorite color is not purple. Let me explain. When I was a very small girl, my favorite color was purple. I have a silk robe that my mother wore in the hospital when I was born, and I have used that as a comfort item, otherwise known as a blankie, my entire life. Even now, and I cannot be bothered to feel embarrassed about that, so I wouldn't even try. When I was little, my beals, which is what I call my robe, that's what happens when you name something as a baby. You end up with a word that no one really gets the origin of, but we all recognize and accept for what it means. Anyways, my Beals was so important to me that one time, when I was maybe four or five, we had accidentally left home without it, and I was not having it. My dad, who has been coming to my rescue my entire life, did the only thing he could think to do. He realized that he just so happened to be wearing silky boxers that were the exact same color as my Beals. So he took one for the team, pulled over, removed them, and handed them back to me so I would stop screaming and we could all survive a long day in the car. Dad walked around commando for the rest of the day, and I walked around snuggling a silky fart trap with not a care in the world. That's how much I love this Beals, and that not the used underwear part, is why purple was my favorite color for a very long time. Somewhere between junior high and high school, though, that changed. I realized that I was drawn to the color yellow, especially shades that reminded me of Sunshine and Winnie the Pooh, but no one knew that. I told no one because I truly believed that purple being my favorite color was a part of my identity. I hadn't had to answer the question, what's your favorite color, in so long because everyone just already knew it was purple. I explicitly remember thinking that I couldn't tell my family that my favorite color was actually yellow now because they all seemed to take so much pride in knowing my favorite color was purple, and 
everything they bought for me was purple. If I told them the truth, they would feel like they needed to replace everything with yellow instead, and that could cost a fortune. What if this is just a phase? My favorite color has always been purple. That probably means it still actually is. This must be what infatuation feels like. It'll pass, but what if it doesn't? What if they all think I'm trying to be someone that I'm not? I'll just keep telling them my favorite color is purple. It's just a color. It shouldn't even matter that much. The truth is, it doesn't matter that much. I could have just told them and their responses probably would have been something like, oh, cool, or just don't eat the yellow snow. That one would have been dad. It wouldn't have made anyone upset or suspect that I had somehow been swapped out for a clone with a few defects. But for a good 10 years, I low-key believed that story I was telling myself, and I kept my real favorite color a secret from everyone but my Marcus. The day I told him the truth about my favorite color was the day I knew I could trust him. What's weird about that, well... I guess there's a lot that's weird about that, but what strikes me as interesting is that until that point, I didn't trust myself to know for sure that yellow actually was my favorite color, and not just some weird form of a rebellious stage that I was going through. And yes, I was the kind of kid that considered that as a potential for what a rebellious stage felt like. What I didn't realize was that I didn't know because I had never asked myself. The minute I noticed something that seemed off-brand for me, I started working to quiet that noise because it was hard enough trying to figure out the impossible puzzle that was all of the other humans around me. I don't have time to sit and try to figure out myself, too. Besides, it's other people that I have to worry about. I'm not a threat to me, so I don't really need to understand myself. Do I? I wish I had voiced that belief back then because then maybe someone could have helped me to see the holes in that logic much sooner, but I didn't. I wish someone had told me that I would struggle to build a life that I loved until I got honest with myself about who I really am, what I really want, and what I really need. I wish someone had told me to trust my gut, follow my heart, and do what I think is best and explain to me how to actually do that. Friends, I want you to meet the big three. I'm curious how many people watchers we have here. I myself am a shameless people watcher. For as far back as I can remember, I have loved to just observe people and try to figure out why they do the things that they do or guess what they might be thinking and not saying. As a little kid, I loved sneaking off to Walmart with my grandpa because I could count on one of two things happening. We would either end up sitting at the McDonald's in the back of the store, this was back when that was a thing, and he would get us ice cream cones to eat while we sat and people watched together. Or if we didn't have time for that, we would stop by the bakery and get some donuts to eat on the way home, and that was pretty rad too. Understanding human behavior well enough to be able to predict what someone will do or how they will react to what we do feels like a puzzle where none of the pieces that go together look like they should. It drives me crazy when I can't figure out which pieces fit together or worse, why two pieces do fit together. I've been obsessively collecting internalized data for a lot of different reasons, 
about body language, emotional reactions, speech patterns, as well as texture and tone of a person's voice in order to try and predict what behaviors and outcomes to expect from them since I was a kid. Sometimes it was for fun. Sometimes it was to try and protect myself or the people around me. That part of my brain has, in a lot of ways, distracted me from my joyful enough because of my need to obsessively scan behaviors in order to try and predict intent. But it has also been the source of some of my greatest breakthroughs when I turned that attention in on myself instead of outwards. That's how I discovered the big three. I wanted to try and make sense of this trust your gut, follow your heart stuff, and this is what I landed on. There are three major forces that can drive us to our joyful enough, and when we are in alignment with them, there is very little that can stop you from leading the life of your dreams, whatever that looks like for you. These forces are intuition, integrity, and intentionality. It works for me to imagine these three forces as divine gifts that we were born with. In my mind, I see them as lights that have been inside of us since the beginning, each one completely unique to its person and meant to guide and remind us that we can trust ourselves to lead a joyful and peaceful life in spite of our world. The first one is intuition, and it lives in our gut. Mine, I have decided, is purple. I want you to imagine someone with a deep connection to their intuition. Whether that is someone that you know or someone that you make up, bring that person to the front of your mind. You're picturing a woman, aren't you? A woman's intuition or a mother's intuition is generally what comes to mind first when we ask this question, but I don't believe that's because men don't carry or can't possess this power. You cannot convince me that babies aren't deeply connected to their intuition because, as any parent will tell you, they can smell fear. Babies sense our emotions often before we sense them in ourselves and will respond accordingly. If you are nervous or frustrated, good luck getting that baby to sleep. No, really, good luck because you're going to need it. On the other hand, In most cases, and of course, assuming the baby's basic needs have been met, if you can take some deep breaths, relax yourself, and physically calm your spirit, I promise you, your baby will follow your lead. It's literally magic, guys, and I wish someone would teach new parents to practice this as a standard. Not tell us about it, teach us to practice it. I am convinced that a baby's intuition is their built-in security and survival system, and they are hypersensitive to it because in this stage of their life, they have no other defenses, and it doesn't matter what their gender is, they have it. Where things start to go a little sideways in the intuition department is as we grow up. Girls are taught to hold their feelings and lean on them for protection and decision-making, Boys are taught to suppress their feelings and do what makes logical sense instead. You see where we're going? Beyond that, 
women are typically charged with raising the children, and this requires intuition. But I do want to make the distinction that moms are not the only ones capable of this, and there are so many incredible fathers out there that learn to listen to their intuition again after what I can only imagine is years, maybe even decades in some cases, of being conditioned not to. My dad is one of them, and my husband is too, so I know they are among us. Parenting has taught me more about my intuition than any other stage of my life. From the moment we bring that baby home, we become obsessively aware of silences. And although there are days we long for a stretch of silence, if we're being totally honest with ourselves, silence is horrifying as a parent. Are they breathing? Are they choking? You've heard of silent drowning, haven't you? It's too quiet. Something isn't right. And on and on. Silence scares us, and we have to rely on our intuition to hear it because our minds are far too overstimulated to pick up on it these days without help. Toddlers are the most terrifying thing on this planet, and I won't hear otherwise. Let me tell you why. This particular incident was a few months after we had our second daughter, Lucy, or as she prefers to be called, Goose. Alice, our oldest, was about three. As I'm sure you can imagine, Marcus and I were a level of tired that just doesn't make sense until you're in it. He was on night shifts, and I was at home alone with two babies. I can't tell you how many jobs I was also trying to work at that time. Remember, all of this part of my life was a blur. I woke up in the middle of the night from a dead sleep. I sat up for a second and listened, thinking maybe one of the girls needed me, but I didn't hear anything. The house was totally quiet. So I laid back down and that's when I noticed the wind outside and it was really kind of eerie. It almost sounded like someone was screaming. I tried to put it out of my mind and go back to sleep because I needed this sleep and if I let myself get all worked up about the wind, I knew I wouldn't get any. No one is screaming, Lisa. Go back to sleep. But My gut was flashing a warning sign at me, and I couldn't stop listening. I could physically feel the pit of my stomach pulling at me to stay awake and pay attention. So I did that thing that everyone in a bad, scary movie has ever done, and I got up to investigate. Lucy was sound asleep and squishy as ever in her crib. No problem there. Alice was not in her bed. That is when I really heard it. Alice was screaming somewhere, and it didn't sound close. I ran through the house screaming for her, and she was nowhere. I ran to the doors to see if she had gotten outside somehow, but the doors were all still locked. She had to be inside this house somewhere. I ran in circles, desperately trying to find my child, who I could faintly hear, but there were no signs of her. I found myself living in a nightmare beyond my wildest imagination, and that's saying something. I somehow realized the general area of her voice was coming from what seemed to be the wall between the kitchen and the living room. Without questioning why my child would be in the wall, I turned around to grab something to start smashing into it because that is where her voice was coming from and I was getting her out right now. 
As I turned back to find something to bring that interior wall down, I caught sight of the refrigerator and immediately knew that's where she was. Guys, she decided she wanted some milk and she didn't want to wake mommy up, so she climbed into the fridge to reach the milk herself and the door sealed behind her. She was fine, colder than my warm, squishy toddler should feel in the middle of the night, and she was red in the face from screaming, but she was fine. I had found her. But what if I had ignored the wind and gone back to sleep? What if I hadn't woken up in the first place? It never occurred to me that she could climb in the fridge and get locked inside. I had never really thought about the fact that refrigerators are airtight toddler traps until that moment. I never expected to need to add refrigerator safety to the long list of things to teach my kids, but that night taught me better. And it also taught me that trusting my gut can literally save lives. It might sound dramatic, but that night shifted my entire outlook on parenting. I realized that she was hearing everything I said, even when I didn't think she was listening or was capable of understanding my conversations. She had quietly gotten up to fix herself a drink because she had heard me talk nonstop that day about how exhausted I was and how much I needed to rest. My three-year-old was trying to take care of me and trapped herself in the process. That was not comfortable for me to address, and it felt impossible at first to shake the habits that had driven us to that point, but I couldn't look at a fridge after that and not be reminded of how impactful and potentially dangerous everything I said to and in front of them was. That fear tried to cripple me. My intuition reminded me that trusting my gut saved her. Something physically happened in my stomach that night that I couldn't ignore, and I realized that I wasn't totally unfamiliar with that feeling, but I didn't usually act on it. That much I knew. Before that night, I thought my stomach pulled at me like that only to tell me to stop. I associated that feeling with nervousness, and if I'm nervous, that must mean that I'm about to do something that I shouldn't. Social conditioning, remember? I had felt that pull in my stomach towards party planning for years, but everyone I mentioned it to in my area said that that was a business type that couldn't make it here, and I figured that my nerves around the idea were evidence that they were right. Spoiler alert, they were wrong, and today I operate a business in our area that proves my gut was trying to tell me to do what I already knew I could the entire time. It hadn't occurred to me yet that my gut could also be drawing me to take action on purpose. But how do you tell the difference? You check it with the next force in the big three. Integrity lives in your heart, and I have decided mine is yellow. This force is what houses your values, your passions, and your deepest beliefs, specifically the ones that require faith to recognize them which is why it is sometimes hard to follow them in the first place. They are low-key invisible. Your gut is going to bring your attention to the fact that you're having strong feelings about something. Your heart tells you if that feeling is drawing you in or guiding you away. 
It is a push forward or a pull backwards. And I physically feel this in my chest when I am quiet enough to pay attention to it. Get still and ask yourself better questions. Pay attention to the way your body reacts. It took practice and a lot of patience, but allowing myself to get still enough to feel it brought me face to face with what my values, my passions, and my deepest beliefs actually are. And I was surprised to find out how much I was holding on to that wasn't mine. I realized that I was holding on to friendships, self-beliefs, conditioning, and expectations in my home and business that didn't serve my own values. They didn't stand the test of my own integrity. The goal isn't to eliminate what challenges you, but instead to seek out and remove what you find yourself buried under. There are going to be some obstacles to overcome, but you're in there, and you're worth saving. Integrity is about taking care of you so that you can take care of your life and the people in it. If you're getting the feeling that I'm about to start in on some kind of analogy, you're right, and look at you already using your intuition for good. Imagine that you have been given a magic wand. This wand can bring to life your heart's deepest desires and wishes with a simple flick of the wrist. This wand will not grant anyone else's wishes. It answers only to what is in your heart. And you only get this one wand. You know that you'll need to take good care of it if you want it to remain in excellent functioning condition forever. So you try to do just that. But you're so proud of that wand, and you tell everyone you know about it. Some people want you to use the wand to grant their own wishes. When you tell them that you can't do that, they stop talking to you, and it breaks your heart. So the next time someone asks, you come up with a clever loophole to make the magic work for them. If you can manage to convince your heart that you want this wish, the wand should grant it. It works and you immediately feel bad about abusing the magic in this way. But your friend is just so happy. You tell yourself, it's only this one time, and you could really use a friend right now, and that's what your heart really wanted, so is it really breaking the rules anyways? You still hate the way it makes you feel to trick the magic like this, so you decide you just won't do it again, and everything should be fine. Only... The word spreads, and now everyone expects you to do the same for them. And you don't want to have to tell them no and risk anyone being mad at you or deciding that you aren't worth being around. So you keep granting wishes that are not your own by adopting them into your heart as if they were. Eventually, you can no longer tell what your heart wishes for on its own and what you wish for in order to be accepted by others and the integrity of the wand begins to fail. For me, I can apply that story to times in my life where I have adopted ideals, hobbies, and expectations of myself that represented the people I wanted to impress more than they represented who I am as an individual. I tried fitting into circles that were determined to keep me out, and I felt trapped in that vicious cycle until I started 
letting them leave me out. What if I told you that the wand was never magic? What if I told you that all along, the magic was you? It is, and we have to start protecting our own magic. Your integrity is the shield that can do that. It is the northern star that guides us back to who we are as individuals, what is important to us, what our standards of enough are. When you are uncertain, get still and ask yourself questions about the problem or issue you're facing. Pay attention to the way your body reacts to your answers. Do you feel a push forward or a pull back? When you imagine this situation playing out, is it harder to breathe or are you able to breathe deeper? Your body knows. Trust it. Trust yourself and then do something about it. Rounding out the big three is intentionality and it lives in our actions. I almost hate to tell you this, but it's important that we talk about it. Every action we take is based on intentionality, even the ones we regret later, and that is not an easy truth to accept. We say the mean words because we intend to share our pain. We procrastinate because running the clock out is easier than risking straight-up failure. We work ourselves to burn out because we don't actually believe we deserve success. I rebuke negative intentionality in my life and in yours too from this moment forward. Here's the thing. Imperfect action with good intentions can move mountains. In the first episode of this podcast, I told you a story about my short-lived soap-making days. That plan didn't work, but every step I took in that process was based on good intentions, and I don't consider it a waste of my time because of that. The mountain that I was able to move from that failure was the belief that every good idea I had needed to be personally executed by me. My intuition gave me the idea. My integrity realized the requirements of that dream didn't fit into my enough and the lifestyle that I wanted for my family. My intentionality walked me away from that idea peacefully, knowing I chose to do the right thing for myself, and that made it a success in my life. In my business, intuition has told me when certain clients weren't a good fit for me. Integrity told me why our values didn't collaborate, and intentionality gave me the strength to protect my peace by saying no, and protected my business because of it. The times that I have ignored the pushes and pulls from my big three have always, always led me to burnout or self-destruction. Intentionality is asking yourself what actions fit the purpose of your decision. It's about being honest with ourselves about where our joy and our pain comes from so that we can react in a way that represents our big three. If you're home with your kids and you notice that it's gone too quiet, your intuition alerts you to the suspicious silence. On the way to investigating, you start to ask yourself questions about how you would want to respond to any of the potentials that you're about to discover. 
when you find them painting the bathroom walls with a toilet brush, your integrity has already told you that you want to react gently and in a way that offers forgiveness and lesson learning without leveraging punishment and humiliation to do it. From there, your intentionality can step in and take over and do just that. Even if you had to pause for a minute after making the discovery to allow for your big three to catch up with the big feelings you have over the mess. When we hold ourselves to our own standards of enough, when we ask ourselves better questions to set our own truths free, when we make our decisions leading from our values and take actions on purpose to support them, I truly and unapologetically believe there is nothing we can't do. You have to decide what is right for you. It is your responsibility to uncover your big three. But man, when you do, absolutely nothing will be able to stand in your way. I would love to chat more about this episode. I have, believe it or not, so much more to say about the big three and the power that it can have in our lives. So please reach out to me and let's dig a little deeper. I hope that this episode has added to your basket today. Just remember, you're enough. Either way. Until next time, this has been the Joyful Enough Podcast with me, Lisa Holloway. You just finished another episode of the Joyful Enough Podcast, and you know what that means now, right, don't you? We're basically best friends, so we should probably swap emails. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter below in the show notes. There's a link for you there, or you can just reach out to me if you've got something that you want to share with me. Just email lisa at thejoyfulenough.com. Don't forget, come over and hang out with us on Instagram. And we love to see pictures and screenshots of you listening to the show. So please tag us. Until next time, sign-offs are still super weird for me. So I'll just leave you with, bye.